a little bit of humor. Amen. And uh, incidentally, this was one of the top reasons. Let's see if we can get this going today. There we go. Before we get into that, uh, Version Bible app. You can open your Version Bible app and follow along with us. And just tap the more button, lower right hand corner, events, halfway down, and then Casa View Assembly of God. Amen. I'm going to turn my ringer off. If you hadn't done that, I encourage you to do that. Amen. I, uh, you can reach for your bulletin today and pull out the sermon notes outline and follow along with us. But before we get into our study, I want to share with you just a little bit of humor to get your attention. Everybody's ready to listen for that. I, uh, you ever had a, do- a dog, a neighbor's dog that just barked and barked and barked and kept you up about half the night? That's not too edifying, especially if it's Saturday night and you're the preacher. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I heard about this blonde lady. Now, don't take offense to that first line. But this blonde lady that she was trying to get sleep one night, but her next door neighbor's dogs were barking so loud that she couldn't get sleep. She tried everything she could to get sleep. She couldn't get sleep, tossing and turning. And finally, she had had enough. And she got up and told her husband she's going to do something about it. And so a few minutes later she came back. And the dogs were barking louder than they were before. And he was very frustrated and annoyed and he said, What in the world did you do, woman? And she smiled and said, I put the dogs in our backyard. Let's see how the neighbors like it now. (laughs) Some of y'all will get that tomorrow. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Well, our theme for this year has been walking with God. And we've been studying how that we can be a follower of the Lord and walk with God. And we're talking about... Uh, having a relationship with the Lord. And we've been studying most recently several examples of individuals who walk with God, and one of those was Abraham. Abraham was called the friend of God. I mean, you know, if you're going to be called in Scripture the friend of God, that lets you know that you walk very close to God. And so we begin to look at his life and all the different components of his life, and as we're studying through basically the life of Abraham... Last week, we studied about how that through sorrow, that your sorrows can be turned to to joy and to laughter at the birth of the promise. And that's what we studied last time about the birth of Isaac. And so, uh, today, we pick up with, with the next phase of Isaac's life, and that he has grown now, and he's getting ready to be weaned from his mother... And uh, it's a big celebration. And at that time, there were a, a series of things that Sarah saw that greatly disturbed her. And from that, she admonished her husband to cast out Hagar and Ishmael, to cast them out. There were things that disrupted and disturbed her. And so that's our text today. And here it is in Genesis chapter 21, verse 9 and 10. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. 
Therefore she, Sarah, said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely Isaac. And so Abraham was admonished to get rid of Hagar and her son. Now, how many of you have ever had a relationship that you needed to get rid of? Uh, No testimonies. Amen. Now, I'm talking about in the past. I'm not talking about right now, seated next to you. Amen. And so some of you, you know what we're talking about here. And so this was one of those. It was a poisonous relationship. There were issues in this family dynamic that was very dysfunctional. And Sarah had had it up to here and said, okay, old boy, it's time to do something about it. It's her, me or her. Get rid of her. Now, that's the background of where we're at. Now, before Marcia and I ever started dating each other, I was a new staff member at a church in Irving, and uh, she had come over with her boyfriend uh, to the singles group. And uh, I was invited to come and be part of the singles group, so I came on a Tuesday night, I think, and they had a group of people, probably 50 or 75 people in a, uh, in a house, in a converted garage area, carpet on the floor and stuff. And we were just sitting on the floor and had a guitar. And we were singing praise and worship to God. Oh, hallelujah. It was wonderful. And just worshiping God. And I noticed this bright, cheery young lady across the way. And the countenance of the joy of the Lord was upon her face as she worshiped God. Of course, I was checking out, you know, everything. And, and uh, I was single, but I was searching. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't know that I even got to know her name that day. But it, it was in my mind, you know, that I'd, I'd like to meet this girl someday. I, you know, there's some things that, that are attracting me there. And, uh, and uh, as time went by, I, uh, her relationship with the other fellow, uh, I didn't know at the time she was actually engaged to this guy. And he was a good guy, but he just wasn't the guy. Amen. And the Lord dealt with Marcia and, and through a series of things. And, and she knew and she prayed about it. And she didn't get the blessing of her mama. Her mama said, no, he's not the one. And so, uh, uh, and other things too. But God spoke to her heart and she broke off that relationship. She had to get rid of Hagar. In order for the promised blessing Amen. (laughs) To come into her life. Amen. And so, as time went by, I had an opportunity and I I got her phone number from the single single pastor's uh, director. And uh, I made a call and and, uh, uh, I needed uh, someone to go with me to a high school event that someone had sold me uh, tickets to go to a drama, I think. And I needed a date, and so I called Marcia, and she was at work, and, and I identified who I was, and she knew who I was, and, and uh, I basically uh, told her the story of how I got conned into buying these tickets from the youth person, and I, 
I've got these two tickets, and the event is this, this Friday. And there was a long pause on the phone. And she said something like this. She says, well, are you wanting me to recommend somebody for you to take? <laughs> or are you asking me to go with you? I said, well, I, I really preferred the latter. <laughs> and so that was our first date. Amen. And it took me a long time, a lot of courage to work up to ask. But I'm so glad I did. Amen. And as we dated for a long period of time, we got to know each other and to begin to pursue a deeper relationship. I discovered that here was a young lady that loved God with all of her heart. And that the joy that radiated from her life was something that was from within. She had inner joy and inner beauty and inner qualities of character. And after three years, we were married. And, but before that began, uh, before what began as a lifelong relationship for us, you know, 42 years now of marriage, but before that could ever happen, she had to first get rid of that other guy. She had to get rid of Hagar. Amen. That's what I'm trying to give an example of. And that's what I want to speak to you about today as we continue this series on walking with God is how to deal with Hagar. And Hagar is symbolic of the flesh. You realize the biggest problem that most of us have is staring at us when we brush our teeth in the morning? The biggest problem that we deal with is our own flesh nature. And the biggest challenge that you will ever deal with is your flesh. And we've got to learn to deal with the flesh. And Hagar is symbolic of the flesh, and we'll get into that in a moment. And so last week, we talked about turning our sorrow into laughter, our tears into joy, and that was all about the birth of Isaac. And so today, we're talking about the weaning of Isaac, and Genesis chapter 21 gives us some age parameters of what we're talking about, the characters in today's drama. And so, chapter 21, verse number 5, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Incidentally, Abraham died at the age of 175. So he had a good 75 years left in his life. He was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him, the son of promise. Now, if we go back a few chapters, you'll read about the birth of Ishmael. And so, in chapter 16, verse 16, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar, the maid of Sarah, bore Ishmael to Abraham. 100 years old, 86 years old. And so, the logical question is, at the birth... Of Isaac, how old was Ishmael? Oh, you guys are sharp. There it is. How old was Ishmael when Isaac was born? A hundred years minus eighty-six years equals fourteen. He was fourteen years of age when he was born. When Isaac was born, not when Ishmael was born. <laughs> so for fourteen years now, Abraham has been father to Ishmael. For 14 years, they have gone to baseball games already. Amen. If they had baseball games back then. 
For 14 years, this has been my firstborn son. And he has grown attached to him, as naturally you can expect it to happen. He loved him. This was my son, my firstborn son. It's the only son I knew. And now I'm 100 years old. And along comes the promised child, Isaac. And Scripture says in chapter 21 again, the first eight, the child, Isaac, grew. And now it's time for him to be weaned. And the time of weaning comes when Isaac will no longer be dependent upon his mother for nourishment to nurse him. And scripture teaches us that an infant was usually weaned in the second or third year of their life. After the birth of the prophet Samuel, when he was a little boy, when he was just a, 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 an infant, if you will, his mother Hannah, it's recorded and says, Hannah did not go up, up where? To Shiloh, to the house of the Lord. For she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. Remember, Hannah had made a vow to the Lord, if you will give me a child, I'll give him back to you. And that's what she was talking about here. But she didn't take him immediately. She waited until after he was weaned. The next verse says, So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the child was young. We really don't know the exact age of the weaning in this passage of Scripture, but from history and from other places of Scripture, we understand a significant age was the age of three. And one of those references is in Second Chronicles chapter 31, verse 16, where it talks about the males coming into the house of the Lord. It said, beside those males from three years old and up who were written in the genealogy, they distributed to everyone who entered into the house of the Lord his daily portion for the work of service. So the age of three is significant. And so with that in mind, we really intuit that this weaning had to be sometime between the age of two and three. We'll come back to that in a moment. So historically, we also know that a child remained in the primary care of the mother during the first five years of their life, and then the child came under the management of the father. Isaac, I believe, was probably closer to three years of age than he was two when he was weaned. And I say that because I believe his mother, Sarah, at the age of 90, when she gave birth to him in her old age, I believe that she basically spoiled him rotten. I believe she babied him to no end. She had prayed for this baby to come all of her life. And at the age of 90, God miraculously uh, opens her womb. And she is pregnant and gives birth at the age of 90 to the answer to, the, to all of her prayers, all of her tears are turned to joy. And she's laughing and laughing and laughing. And everybody who hears about it is laughing too. Amen. 
And uh, so I believe that she babied that and she didn't want this uh, to end, in other words. She was enjoying it so much. I picture this because of the great void in her life all these years. That finally when the promise came, she wanted to savor it as long as she could. And I believe that she nursed longer than a shorter period of time. Now, I'm not a woman. I've never nursed a baby. Don't plan to start. But I don't think that's the most joyous thing in the world. To me, that would be painful. But I'm a man. So I can't relate to that. But I can relate to some who I have seen through the years that obviously were still nursing. And they were three or even four. And so I picture this as being a little longer than normal. So what does that have to do with it? Well, we'll get back to that in a moment. Observe this time of weaning is also a festive time in the house of Abraham, and it was a time when the center of attention would be on Isaac, the son of promise. This was a big celebration, and the one that we're celebrating is Isaac, and he's reached a milestone in his early life, a time of weaning. In verse 8b, chapter 21, And Abram made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. They're having a party. And it's a weaning party. But during this festival, something happens that is very disturbing. And Sarah, during this festival, where her son is the center of attention, she's troubled because she sees something that greatly upsets her. And what she sees is that the son of Hagar is scoffing. He is mocking. He is laughing at Isaac. And she's greatly disturbed about it. Verse number 9 says, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. Scoffing. Now remember, Isaac is probably what age? This baby is what age now? At least three. And Ishmael, when Isaac was born, how old was he? Fourteen. So let's add them together. Fourteen plus three. He's how old? Close to 17 years of age. Ishmael is around 17 years of age at this time of the weaning, at this feast, at this festival. At this age, in the culture that he was raised in, he's old enough to get married. And the the attitude that he is exhibiting In front of everyone, and especially Sarah as she's watching this, greatly disturbs her. Because the nature and the character, basically, of his this young adult personality is already manifesting itself. And it's not going to get any better. If anything, it's going to grow worse. That's what Sarah was perceiving in her spirit. That's what she was seeing visually. That concerned her so, so much. And it really is not a picture of a child, another child, just making fun of another child, another baby boy. No, no, no. There's a great age span difference. 
And it grows much deeper than just kids poking and making fun of other kids. It's much deeper than that. And so Sarah sensed a much deeper struggle that one day would threaten the very existence of her child of promise unless something drastic was done. And so that's the background of our text today where she tells Abraham to cast out Hagar and Ishmael. Now there are three disruptive things that I see in this verse. I'm going back to the verse. There it is. Verse 9. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian whom she had born to Abraham. There are three things in this verse I want to unpack. Three disruptive things that Sarah saw. Three things that she saw. The first thing that disturbed her that she saw was in the phrase, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian. The Egyptian. Now, we're talking about the influence of Egypt. The influence of Egypt was one that had many pagan gods and many pagan practices. And these influences of the background of being from Egypt and having that in your background still were deeply apart and resided within Hagar. That was part of her makeup. She was an Egyptian, meaning that not only did she have family and friends in Egypt, but she considered Egypt her homeland. And quite honestly, friends, it's one thing to take the bondman out of Egypt, but it's another thing, Egypt, out of the bondwoman. And that was an issue that she was disturbed about. In verse 21, we read, well, we'll get to that in a moment. We know that she was connected to Egypt because in verse 21, when it was time to secure a wife for her son Ishmael, she goes to Egypt and gets a wife for him. In verse 21, verse 20, chapter 21, 21, he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him, not from Paran, no, no, no. She takes a wife for him from where? The land of Egypt, that's her home country. That's where her family was. So she's still connected to Egypt. And this Egyptian influence was very real in Hagar and Ishmael. And ultimately, it would have had very negative influence upon the growing and developing of Isaac. So Sarah wanted absolutely nothing to do with Egypt. Now, in Scripture, you say, well, why why is that the big deal? In Scripture, Egypt is symbolic of depending upon the flesh, depending upon the world. And that's basically what the birth of Isaac symbolized. It symbolized the birth of that which the flesh was able to manufacture. It was not the, the miracle promise that God wanted to give. It was what man could do. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul references this very thing in Galatians chapter 4. And he says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. 
His son by the slave woman was born according to, hello, according to what? The flesh. But the son of the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. Praise God. And he goes on in that same chapter in verse number 28. He says, now you brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. And at that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. And it's the same as it is now. So God moved on the scene and moved in Sarah's heart. And she admonished her husband to take action. And the Lord also confirmed this. And and so God had to remove this negative influence of the flesh and did so in having Sarah cast out Hagar and Ishmael. Now, she says again, this is our text, Therefore, she said to Abraham, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely Isaac. Now, this casting out of the flesh is so significant that in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uses the example of this story, of the two women in this story, figuratively to illustrate the difference between law and grace. Law and grace. Between, depending on the law, that's Hagar in his figurative example, and depending upon grace, that's Sarah. In Galatians 4, verse 29, At that time the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born according to the power of the Spirit. It's the same as now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. That's law. But we are children of the free woman. That's grace. Oh, praise God. And now remember in this story that this is not a picture of a mother with a little baby that's being cast out. No, no, no. This is a young, grown, adult man that's being pushed out of the house on his own and with his mother. And so there is a time to get rid of the influence of Egypt. How many of you know that you and I, we have to deal with the flesh from time to time? Amen. And that's the influence of symbolic Egypt, if you will. The influence of the world, the influence of the flesh. Now, what do you think the Lord wants us to do with with Hagar? I think we can glean from this passage of Scripture exactly what we're supposed to do with Hagar. We have to get rid of it. We have to cast it out. And that's what makes God's people special. We have to separate ourselves from the influence of Egypt, the influence of the flesh, and from the influence of the world. John, the apostle, writes and says, Do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the love of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And this world is passing away, and the lust thereof. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Amen. And then Paul the Apostle writing to the Corinthians says, Therefore, 
Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch that which is unclean, and I will receive you. So we must separate ourselves from that which is unclean. We're talking about the fleshly nature. So, first of all, the thing that disturbed her was the fact that Hagar was an Egyptian, and this son of Hagar, the Egyptian, there was the Egyptian influence that was disturbing to her. Secondly, the second thing that disturbed her is that Sarah also saw a division of her husband's heart, a division of Abraham's heart. And the phrase says, whom she had borne to Abraham. Here's the whole verse. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham. And so that phrase is significant. You see, Abraham was part of the equation. He was part of the the issue. Abraham's heart was involved with Ishmael. In years he had been his daddy. And now you're asking me to kick out my son? His heart was divided. And I submit to you, Abraham was also involved with Hagar. I know of at least one occasion he was involved with Hagar. Scripture is silent. But there's another reference I'll come to in just a moment that leads you to believe that there may have been a concubine relationship going on. And so remember now for 17 years, Abraham had developed a father-son relationship with Ishmael. We know that Abraham cared for him. He loved him. Matter of fact, Abraham even made a plea with God for God to use Ishmael in fulfilling his promised inheritance. If you remember, we studied it a few weeks ago how that in chapter 17 of Genesis, how that, that God changed the name of Sarai to Sarah. And then he went on to talk about how Sarah would be the mother of many nations and that he would bring forth the, the child of promise through Sarah. And Abraham, that's the first time he ever heard that. He'd always heard that it was, it was coming through me. Uh, you know, God, you're going to bless me. And now you're changing. And now Sarah's in the equation. And Scripture says that Abraham fell on his face laughing. He's 100 years old. Sarah's 90 years old. And he's laughing that God, he thinks God's joking about it. And immediately he says, he said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Oh, that Ishmael would be the the, the way that this promise is coming. And the Lord said, No, it's not coming through Ishmael. It's coming through Sarah. And it's going to be, and his son's going to be Isaac. And that's where the promise is going to come. For Ishmael to remain in the home would feed and cause the division that was already in Abraham's heart. It would feed that division. Because he had such love for his firstborn. Therefore, the undivided love and attention that Abraham needed to raise the son of promise 
had to be guarded. It had to be protected. Let me ask you, friends, do you have an undivided heart? Or let me rephrase that. Do you have a divided heart? Is there a division in your heart? Are you giving God your undivided devotion, undivided love? Or are you distracted by other things in your life? The busyness of life. And you got time to work and time to do this and time to run there. And you find yourself running around all the time. But you don't have time to read God's Word. Hello? You don't have time to spend it worshiping God every day. Spending time in His presence. Talking to the Holy Spirit who is here on the earth. And you totally ignore the Holy Spirit. He's here to, to have a relationship with you. To be your best friend. And... Friends, what that's called is a divided heart. In the early church, the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, the resurrected Lord shows up to talk to, on the Isle of Patmos, to John. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. and He gives him great revelations of all the things. And then he starts talking about the seven churches that are in Asia Minor, and one of the churches in chapter 2, in verse number 4 of Revelation, is a church called Ephesus. Do you remember what the Lord said? I have this against you, Ephesus. You have lost, what? Your first love. You've lost your first love. He commended them for all the good things they were doing, but said, you know what? You've gotten off track. You need to get back. You have a divided heart. You have a divided heart, Ephesus. You know, if we're not careful, we can have a divided heart. And so Sarah, that was one of the things that concerned her, was that her husband's heart was divided. And we've got to take care of this. We've got to get back and make the main thing the main thing. The promised child is the main thing. Praise God. And so not only did Sarah see the influence of Egypt, and not only did she see the, the concern of a divided heart from her husband. But the third thing that she saw was obviously the scoffing. The scoffing that was going on. And in the last part of Genesis 21, it says, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, and he was scoffing. He was scoffing. He was mocking. He was laughing. And remember, he's 17 years of age. And she senses there's something deeper here. There's something going on here. And in her unusual discernment at that time, she saw something much deeper than just another child making fun of, another, of a baby's weaning. Ishmael's true attitude was showing. You ever had your attitude show up? And when your attitude shows up, everybody else knows it. Amen. And Ishmael's true attitude was showing, and his attitude was actually a reflection of his mama's attitude, Hagar's attitude. How do you know that? Because earlier in life, when he was still in his mama's womb, Hagar showed her true fleshly feelings, and when she was pregnant, she despised Sarah and flaunted her ability to meet Abraham's needs in a way that Sarah had never been able, never been fruitful to do that. In chapter 16, verse 5, it says, Then Sarah said to Abraham, or Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, 
I became despised in her eyes. I could see the attitude. She was rolling her eyes at me. She was grinning like, hey, look at me. I'm pregnant. You couldn't do it. He loves me more than he loves you. And she said, the Lord judge between you and me. You see, Ishmael's attitude was no different than the attitude of his mother. It was an attitude of cynicism, an attitude of jealousy, an attitude that was fashioned by his mother's attitude. And Sarah very perceptively and even prophetically saw there was a conflict that was coming. And so she decided to take the initiative and stop it right now and have it removed before it impacted her son, the heir of promise. And so our text again says, she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely Isaac. Now how did Abraham feel about this? He was not very pleased. He was very disturbed. And so it was very painful for him to do this. How many of you know it's painful to cast out Hagar out of your life? Amen. And so in verse 11 it says, And the matter was very displeasing to Abraham in Abraham's sight. Very displeasing. Now the question is why? Why was it displeasing to Abraham? It was because of his son, Scripture says, because he loved Ishmael. For 17 years it had been his firstborn son. And if it was up to Abraham, he would have found a way to negotiate and to have made an apology somewhere to to smooth over this thing. Because, you know, this is my son. How can you expect me to cast out my son? And, And Abraham was angry. He was very displeased. But God intervened to confirm the words of Sarah that he was to do this. And so, notice the words of the Lord in verse 12. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. I'm going to pause right here. Look, God, He knows what's in your heart. He knew what was in Abraham's heart. And He realized that there were two reasons why He would be displeased. Hello? The first reason is because of the lad. And the second reason was because Abraham had feelings toward the bondwoman. Hello? Why would God put this in here if it wasn't the case? And God says, whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac all... Of your seed shall be called. Now observe what God said. He said listen to your wife's voice. I think this is significant that God had to tell the husband to listen to his wife. And all the wife said. For in Isaac your seed will be called. And remember, Abraham is very upset. He's very angry because of his love for Ishmael and maybe his 
affection toward Hagar as well. But even though it was painful through great sorrow and anguish of heart, Abraham still believed in God and he obeyed God. And he gave up and he sent them on their way. And this giving up of his firstborn child would be almost repeated about the same time in age years later. When Isaac was about the age of Ishmael, he's asked to give up his son again. And that's a different story, but here's the point. God prepares us beforehand for the big moments in life. And in the midst of pain and in the midst of brokenness, God comforted Abraham with a promise. And he gave him this promise in verse 13. He said, yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman. Why? Because he is your seed. I'm going to bless him too. Amen. Friends, when the Lord asks you to cast out Hagar, I'm talking about the flesh and her offspring that you've grown attached to, there will be pain. It will be painful because we enjoy the company of the flesh. We enjoy the pleasures of the flesh. And we enjoy depending upon our own resources to be our own person, to do our own thing. But could it be that the Lord is preparing us for another great moment in our lives down the road, the moment that will change the course of our history if we will but pass the test today? Amen. Well, in closing, I'm going to invite the musicians to come. I have three questions I want to ask you. And the first question has to do with Hagar. What is your Hagar? What is your Hagar? Have you thought about it at all since we began this study today that we all have issues that we're dealing with in our own flesh? You know, your Hagar might have to do with your belly. Hello. Your own flesh nature. And it may be something totally different, but generally our biggest problem is looking at us in the mirror when we comb our hair or brush our teeth or whatever we do. It could be there's a relationship in your life Hello? That's not drawing you closer to God. If anything, it's drawing you further away from God. And God spoke to Abraham through Sarah and confirmed it and said, You need to get rid of that that's of the flesh and is obviously would draw you away from God. And so the question is, what's your Hagar? What's the thing... That is your Hagar. Because it's that that is from Egypt. That is of the flesh. There's something that will hinder you from possessing the promised blessings of God. And that's your own flesh. The second question that I have for you has to do with a divided heart. Do you have a divided heart today? What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, Abraham, he had a divided heart. His heart was divided. He had to deal with that and get singularly focused Have you totally, completely given your total devotion to God? Amen. Or are you trying to do all these other things and and, and you really don't... Sometimes you have room for God, but then you don't because your life is just so busy. Well, friends, what the problem is, your heart is being divided. Maybe by good things. Amen. Let's make the main thing the main thing today. Let's totally make sure that our hearts are... Given to God, totally given to God. 
I give you my heart, Lord. I give you my soul. I give you everything. I'm worshiping you today. Amen. And then the third thing I wanted to felt like the Holy Spirit wanted to draw attention to was having a divided mind. Hello, a divided mind. You see, sometimes our attitude shows. It shows. And our problem is that we're having the wrong kind of mindset. And that young man in our story was walking with the wrong mindset of irreverence. He did not fear God. He did not fear or reverence the promises of God. He was making light of that which was holy. Amen. And he was making jest of that. He didn't understand it. He wasn't concerned about it. And as a result, we see the scoffing that's going on. And it's an it's a illustration of an inner attitude issue of cynicism. And really it boils down to unbelief. Unbelief in the promise. And so my question is, what's dividing your mind today? What's causing unbelief to arise in your spirit, in your soul? So that you would be cynical and not believe God's word when it says that whatsoever you would ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Amen. It's having a singular focus to the word of God and the will of God. Amen. I want to encourage you today to deal with Hagar and to deal with having a divided heart and having a divided mind. Amen. Are you ready to get singularly focused today? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, through this historical study, Lord, of the Word. God, there's a Word for each of us. And Lord, every one of us has to cast out Hagar, Lord, as symbolic of the flesh. And Lord, it's not something we do once and forget it. It's something we have to do regularly. Lord, we battle constantly with our own flesh nature. But Lord, it was so important, God, that you spoke to Abraham that he had to do it. And Lord, there's an illustration for us today. We dare not have a divided heart. Lord, we dare not allow other things to creep in, even relationships to creep in. Lord, that would take the place of intimacy with you. Lord, I give you my whole being, my whole heart, my whole mind, my whole spirit, Lord. I'm trusting in you and in you alone. Lord, I pray that our minds will be singularly focused, God. Lord, with the reverence and the fear of God and the longing and belief in the promises of God, I ask you, Lord, to do a work in our inner being from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. And I believe that I receive that today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Will you stand with me, congregation?